All right. So like I said, David, uh, is who we'll be talking about, comes from uh, Hebrews 11, verse 32. We'll be wrapping that part up. And next week, I'm going to just kind of add a little bit um, to that aspect as we cover a few more verses, and then we're going to be in chapter 12 and moving through. But um, we are have already basically talked about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and so David is the last one here. I was actually listening to, I think it was Jamie today, it might have been somebody else, and one of the things he said about Gideon, that I thought, oh, I wish I would have known that when I went and covered Gideon, because I thought, what a great point, is he talks about the whole thing with Gideon, is God says, I will sift out all this, you know, the army that was before me, he had all this huge army, and he says, I will sift them out for you. And we always focus on the 300, and, you know, they, they lap like a dog, they did this, whatever, but the bottom line is, is I will sift them out. God is going to sift out the church today. And I thought, boy, that, would, that could have preached just by itself uh, when we talked about Gideon. The other thing that kind of struck me today just was the fact that when they went to war, they were not, one of the things that, Gideon tells them is, if you're afraid, go home. And Jamie Walden was talking about that too. If you're afraid, ring the bell, all that kind of you know stuff. And it was just striking me that it's like, wait a minute. We really need to put that in our hearts. I don't want to be one of those guys that says, okay, I, I'm afraid, Lord. I know you're going to be with me. I'm going to go home. I'm going to sit this one out. But God will still be there with me. I want to be the guy that, I'm not afraid. Bring it on. Whatever you've got for me, bring it on. I don't want to live with even a hint of fear. I, I just want to say, no, I, Lord, we can take anything. Uh, Daniel Joseph today in his part five of The Blessing showed a little video clip of some Russian guy who was put in prison for 10 years under the Communist Party. And in 10 years, he said, we, we forgot the ver Bible verses. He says, I, I never saw a piece of paper in 10 years. And he said, when he got out, he couldn't even remember how to write certain letters after 10 years. And I thought, boy, uh, yeah, you know, I know when I don't use something for a year, I start forgetting it. Um, that's why our kids have to show up every week, or else we might forget them. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that was just trying to help my wife out to make sure my kids are always there to come home to see her. But bottom line is, it's like, you know, we do forget. And he said, we never saw scriptures. We never, he says, so we, we forgot a lot of scriptures. He says, I was a pastor. And he says, now I don't, I don't know hardly any scripture. But he said, what I do know is the presence of Jesus. He said, all my theology went out. All my verses, they were gone. But I experienced Jesus. And he talked about the joy and whatnot. Through the torturous times that they had, where they literally were tortured, but they lost all fear because the presence of Jesus was with them. He said, he talked about the light filling his cell one day. And it was just so like diamonds. This, this. He said, I've seen, he mentioned California and all these beautiful things that he had seen in his life. He said, none of it compared 
to what I saw 30, 30 feet under the ground because that's where his cell was at. And I just thought that, not to say theology isn't important. Scripture says it is. Doctrine, we're to protect sound doctrine. But what's most important of all is that we have that relationship with Jesus and that we know who he is. Not just a bunch of words, not just a bunch of doctrines, not just a bunch of, of you know, empty, I don't know what to say, just empty beliefs. Because we can say we know Jesus, but to live for him, that's really what it means. Because many will come before him and say, Lord, Lord. And he's going to say, I don't know who you are, you worker of iniquity. David is one of these guys that did not ring the bell. David is one of these guys who did not fear. Now, don't get me wrong. We, we can read all kinds of Psalms. He had troubles. He had that. But David is a guy worth studying. And we will not be able to do him justice in this little bit of time that we have. But Isaiah 9, 6 says this, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, the government will be on his shoulders. Praise the Lord. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. That alone ought to make you say, wow. Who was David that God would sit on his throne? Again, I'm not saying that David is God or anything like that either. But what I am saying is this. David had a heart after God. And that is something that we should all strive for. That is really why he's in this great faith chapter. And I know there's prophetic pictures here. That's why I said I don't want you to take me out of context. But this is what scripture says. He will reign on David's throne and will rule over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice, righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Another message that you should listen to this week by Jamie Walden. Uh, I've been on a Jamie Walden kick lately. Um, yeah, I, uh, nobody can tell. I just want to give credit where credit is due. But um, Simeon, you posted it. It was, I don't remember the title, but something along China demographic. Or ge yeah, Red Dragon. That's what it was. Red Geopolitical dragon. and Red Dragon. Listen to that one. Um, because this is very prophetic, this passage here in Isaiah. David's life is very prophetic. And what's interesting about it is that David, his life being prophetic, prophecy is something that when it happens, a lot of times it's full. And one of the things he said was this, that his dad used to remind him that in a, like about a 14, 16, something short hour period of Jesus' life, like almost 100 prophecies were fulfilled. Boom, 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 boom. When Jesus came, 
He kept warning us all these years, hey, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And then people were getting, oh, I'm tired of this. I've heard that before. And then, like a woman in childbirth, it comes. And that's the way it's going to be, is there, there is going to be a period of pregnancy where we are in the womb. But I'm telling you, we're, we're starting to feel labor pains. But when the birth comes, when it comes time for the fruition to come about, it's going to be fast. Don't grow tired and weary. So we're going to look prophetically at David's life here a little bit as well. But um, before we do, let's just give you a, a few little things here. Um, we could focus on Bathsheba and Uriah. We could focus on the Psalms. We could focus on all kinds of things of battles. But we're going to kind of mainly focus on David and Goliath uh, as far as his life goes. Because, like I said, we could do just a whole series on David alone. But in 1 Samuel 29, verse 9, we see that when David had fled from Saul, he went to Achish, and Achish is not a godly man. He is a Philistine. And this is what this Philistine, this uncircumcised Philistine, says about David. He says, I know that you have been as pleasing in my eyes as an angel of God. In 2 Samuel chapter 14, verse 17, it says, May the word of my Lord the King secure my inheritance, for my Lord the King is like an angel of God in discerning good and evil. David is called like an angel of God here uh, more than once in Scripture. That very term is a term that is used for Yahweh God. Or maybe I should say Yeshua God. Uh, it is a picture that we see throughout the Old Testament. And so David, the Jewish people even see a picture here of David being a, a Christ-like figure, you might say. Messianic. So, <clears throat> you might even say it's a template that David is going to become for other kings as well. Throughout the scriptures, you'll often read things that they did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as their father David had done. Just as David, King David had done. So he becomes an example for others throughout all the, the reign of the kings. They did what was right in it. Just like you see, they did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Instead, they followed the ways of Joab, or uh, Jeroboam is, is referred to oftentimes on the antithesis of this. David is like the standard that's set throughout the scripture that way. So, being called an angel of God, we know really ultimately the word of God is a standard. Yeshua, Jesus, the word of God is that standard for us. And David is being typified as that when those words are, are said. We also know, and I'm not going to get into this, but you could go back and listen to one of my messages on Yeshua ben David. And that one I will go through David's life showing you that as a picture of Christ, David is a prophet, a priest, and a king. Everybody knows he was a king. Not many realize that he was a prophet, and hardly anybody realizes that he was a priest. This is the way Yeshua is, right? He was a king, a prophet, and a priest, all three. David also. 
to fit that is. Now, like I said, I'm not going to go through all of that, but the bottom line is it says that he wore a linen ephod, and those are things only the priests wore, but we see that he, he does that. It's mentioned that in Scripture. So you can see clearly that's what he is. I'm just going to leave it at that for now. We also know he was a shepherd, right? And we know Yeshua is our good shepherd. So parallels all over the place. Um, 1 Chronicles chapter 14, verse 7 says this, or 17. So David's fame spread throughout every land, and the Lord made all the nations fear him. Another good messianic picture, because the fame of Yeshua, the fame of, of his name, went throughout the world, throughout all the kingdoms. And we know kings feared him, right? Herod was afraid of him. Pilate was afraid. Pilate's wife was greatly troubled by a dream. Everywhere he went, there was fear of those who did not know him. They feared him. The enemy feared him. So uh, these are just some of many, and I won't even cover half of them tonight, of how David is a Christ figure, and that's how he can be that standard for us. Okay? Because the scriptures aren't going to focus on Bathsheba. It's going to focus on, on the other parts. So, David and Goliath, as I said, is where we're going to be. 1 Samuel 17, verse 2, we're going to kind of follow along here quite a bit to uh, look at what goes on here. Um, David being a picture of Christ, Goliath is a picture of the devil. Okay, again... We can make analogies all the time and whatnot, but I want to show you that these are things that even the Messianic Jews, they see this as Messianic. The, the Orthodox Jews, who do not even believe Jesus is the Messiah, see David as a Messianic picture. So I'm not making this stuff up myself. I believe this is stuff that God has interwoven into the Scriptures themselves. It says, Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill, the Israelites another, with a valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. So now we have two hills, and there's a valley in between, and there's like you might say good people on one hill, bad people on another. Uh, a few weeks back I was talking about that book, um, that the unseen realm, and that we see that pattern throughout Scripture, that there is a spiritual war going on in Mount, Mount Horeb, uh, Mount Gerizim, Mount Zion, that there's a reason blessings are pronounced from one hill, curses from another, because there's something going on in the spiritual realm that I, we're not privy to, but there is a battle for those kingdoms. And it's going on. And that's a picture of that too here, I believe. Verse 5 continues about Goliath. He had a bronze helmet on his head. He wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs he wore bronze greaves and bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. So basically the armor is 125 pounds and the spearhead is 15 pounds. So put, you know, three five-pound bags of sugar on the end of your spearhead. That's impressive. 
Imagine yourself going up against somebody like this. Imagine now you're a kid and you're going up against somebody like that. Impossible, right? Pretty much. But God is a God of the impossible. It continues in verse 8, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not the servant of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects, but I will overcome him and kill him. You will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. The king is terrified and dismayed, let alone all the soldiers. Every one of them is ringing the bell. I don't think we can put into perspective how hopeless this situation is. And then in comes this little kid. I find this kind of, again, as you read these stories, don't read them just as history. Read them prophetically, spiritually. This is what Satan does. He is mocking, he's daring us to come. And going back to, to what we talked about before, when, when, after Jamie was here, is we put on that armor of God, and we ought to be saying, bring it on! And Satan ought to be the one trembling in his boots because he's seeing the armor of God on us. And instead, the Christian church has looked at this armor as a wall to, to hide behind, hoping the devil can't see us. And yet we're supposed to be up front and present and saying, bring it on. The, the church isn't where they're supposed to be here right now, are they? The army, the king, the leaders, they're not where they're supposed to be. But there's this one little boy who is where he's supposed to be because he has a man after God's heart. Or he is a man after God's heart. And I'm going to take you to Revelation as kind of a parallel of what's happening here. In Revelation 5.1, it says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? You might say, Choose a man to fight me. Pick one out. No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. In other words, nobody in the church, nobody here today has the power to do that. We are all like that cowering army of Saul. We don't have the strength to do it. We need a David to step in. And that's what Yeshua does. And one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. None is found worthy but Yeshua Jesus. Just like in this place, no one in the army is found worthy, but then in comes David, a picture of the Messiah, who is going to go after this uncircumcised Philistine, the devil himself, in a hopeless situation. Sound like America today? 
We're getting close. I don't think it's that hopeless yet, but it might be soon. And let me tell you, you are not going to find your hope in any pastor, in any leader. Your hope is only going to be in the root of David. That's where it's going to be found. Back to our story. Verse 8, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. The Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistine words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. I'm reading this again because I want you to see that in this perspective now. From the spiritual. This is exactly what the devil wants. What's his goal? I want you to be subject to me. Come on, I dare you. I'm going to make you subject to me. He wants to defy God, which is what he's doing here in defying God's army, and all who belong to God. Back in Hebrews chapter 2, it talks about the fear of death um, and, and how basically Yeshua, Jesus, has overcome that fear of death. Fear keeps us enslaved. Romans says we do not have a spirit of fear, but we have a spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. In Hebrews it says we do not want to be those who shrink back and are afraid. Okay, we want to be those who are men of faith, who are standing up, who when God sifts us out, we're the ones that remain in Gideon's army. And it isn't because you've practiced your uh, tactical training. You're going to stand because you've been studying the word of God, sharpening your sword is what I read there that Noah wrote earlier. Now is the time to make sure that you are ready for battle. Memorizing those scriptures. Knowing them so that you have them hidden in your heart, ready to come out to proclaim to those who are around you, enemy or, or not. Because fear enslaves. We do not have a spirit of fear. It continues, Now David was the son of an Ephrathite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Now Bethlehem, Bethlehem, uh, house of bread is what it means. And of course we know Yeshua, born in Bethlehem, he is the bread of life. Bethlehem becomes the house of bread, the house of Yeshua. And so here's where David is from as well. Jesse had eight sons and, his Saul, and in Saul's time he was very old. Jesse's third old, or three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. The firstborn was Eliab, the second Abinadab, and the third Shema. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. 
I don't think it's an accident that this took place for 40 days. Not 35, not 42, but 40 days. Because remember how long Yeshua goes to battle against the devil in Matthew chapter 4? 40 days up in the wilderness. And the devil comes after, oh, if you are the Son of God, and he keeps throwing the word, and, and Yeshua comes out victorious, of course. So the same picture is going on here. Another prophetic symbol um, continues, 1 Samuel 17, 17. Now Jesse said to his son David, Take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers, and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. So he's supposed to take all these gifts to the army and find out how things are going. It continues, early in the morning David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had, had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle position, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines, facing each other. So David, you know, taking cheeses and food, is going to fight. And, you know, as in the human, he, he had no idea he was about to go to battle. But he leaves a shepherd to watch over the, the, the sheep while he goes to fight. Verse 22, David left his things with the keeper of the supplies, ran to the battle lines and asked his brother how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. I just, I look at this and I think, you guys, you wimps. But I know I probably would be right there with them. Keep in mind, this is a picture of the devil. This is... This is the devil throwing everything at him. And if you're ever in that position, remember this. Where you are fearful of an enemy standing there. Remember this. It goes on. Now the Israelites had been saying, Do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to a man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. David asked the men standing near him, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Can you just put yourself there, be a fly on the wall? or the tent, <laughs> and imagine David. He's not just doing this as we read the scripture. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that we should defy the armies of living? I think he is incensed to, to the, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Are you kidding? Do you hear what he's saying? I mean, this has got him riled up. Don't you dare talk about my God that way. I, I kind of think about that when I hear people taking the name of the Lord in vain. Does that bother you? When people 
you know, are out there and they just take his name in vain like that, we should be, whoa, who are you, you uncircumcised Philistine? Go wash your mouth out with soap. How many times right? are you saying circumcised tonight? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's not the best way to say it to them, but <laughs> you get the point. I mean, we should be incensed when people are mocking and coming out against our God. And not only when they take the name of the Lord in vain, but you've got to remember, how do we worship God today? Oh yeah, we go to church, we praise Him. But true worshipers are going to worship Him in spirit and truth. When we walk in disobedience to God, I'm reminded again of Jamie Walden's thing that we talked about last week in the pornography. When people are caught up in pornography and they are Christians and they've been struggling with this for the last three, four years, we ought to be incensed. But instead we're like, yeah, I get it. Yeah, I know. Yeah, the lust of the eyes. I know. I'm no better than you. No, we better be. You better be. Because you had better stop. We should be incensed by it. We should have such a hatred. Do you know that's somebody else's daughter? Imagine that's your daughter that somebody else is looking at. Okay, do you realize that that's a child of God? Can you imagine how mad he is? If that was my daughter, I'd be ready to kill. And yet this is God's daughter. We should be incensed to the point that we are so disgusted by it that there is no room for attraction or whatever. I think that's the spiritual picture here when David is coming in, is he is incensed, not just by the words, but I think he's even incensed by the, the action of his own church, his own brothers. He would not be able to do this without the, spirit, the Spirit's anointing prior to that and what we, we skipped through, yeah. Yep. And how do we get the Spirit? How do we get that anointing? Well, Scripture basically is going to tell you. You know, we obey God. We believe and follow Him. Take up our cross and follow. If you love me, you'll do. If you were Abraham's children, you would do as Abraham did. And so... Don't expect the anointing of God and then to have the power that David has here if we choose to live our lives in disobedience to God and His Word. It is that simple. Notice as well here that the king is offering great riches to he who overcomes. We got it. There is a great reward greater than anything you can imagine to those who overcome. I do. I like that turn, that holy swagger, because what that is is exactly why the, they were impressed with Yeshua. This man does not speak like the teachers of the law. This man speaks with authority. We have that holy swagger because of the word of God and the authority he has given us. And that's what many are going to interpret as 
cocky, um, arrogant, yeah, pious, yeah, self-righteous. I mean, we could come up with all kinds of terms because we're going to speak with authority. Oh, you think I'm, you're better than I am just because, you know, I, I go out and have a few beers on Friday night and, you know, whatever? It's like, no, 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 no. The, the typical Christian answer is, oh, no, 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 I'm just as bad as you are. That's not really true. Yeah, yeah, don't judge lest ye be judged. Wrong. The scriptures say you are commanded to judge, but judge righteously. It's the same thing with John 3.16. We love to quote John 3.16, but we love to leave out verse 17. Okay, and yet you do not believe he stands condemned already. We want the love, we don't want condemnation. We want the gospel you know, of grace, but we don't want the law. We want to talk about love, but we don't want to talk about hate that we are to hate sin. We are to hate unrighteousness. We want to talk about heaven, but heaven forbid we talk about hell. Holy swagger. That's the new word. I like it, and we need to walk with it. So, continuing on, it says here in verse 32, David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, You're not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him? You're only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. Again, the very king, the one who's supposed to be leading them, is saying, you can't do this. I mean, this guy's a giant, and you're a peon. Well, here we are in our world, and we are kind of have that same thing. We got this whole world falling apart, but yet we only have Jesus. This one little guy. Don't forget he created this whole world. Yes, 1 John 4 does say that the whole world is under the control of the evil one, but guys, it is not over. It's like I said before, and, and I'll, well, I'll be addressing it here soon, but God allows these things to happen because just like he allowed Haman to sell out his own, the people of God, only for the purpose of Haman to build a gallows to hang himself on. I'm telling you that the same thing happened with Israel and Egypt, and, and we could give you story after story, that God is, he will allow things to get much worse, only because he is going to bring destruction upon the ungodly, but they'll bring it on themselves. John 12, verse 15 says, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. When Yeshua came, he came as David. A guy riding on a colt, a lowly animal, a lowly man as a servant. This weak, beaten, despised man. That's how he came to bring deliverance. And here is this weak little, little boy coming in. And Saul's like, you can't, you can't do this. And that's what the world said to Yeshua when he came. Because of Yeshua, we should not fear. That's what he's saying. Don't lose heart. I got this. That's what Jesus is saying to us. Don't lose heart. He has this. The world's falling apart, but it's supposed to. So that he can get the glory. 
One of the things that I've thought about a lot this week is this. If Trump would get in, even now by some weird thing, or had he gotten in, you know what everybody would have said? Trump. He did it. He's such a chess player. You know, there's been nobody as smart as that guy. Man, he did it. God does not want Trump getting the glory. Let me tell you that right now. God's the one that's going to get the glory. So, anyway, David again is a picture of Christ as uh, he's going to, you know, when Christ entered Jerusalem on a donkey here. Um, Goliath. He has been bred to be a warrior from youth. Remember the Spartans? You know, I think Brett's been talking about Spartans or somebody else has too, just how from a kid, these guys are trained. That's, that's all they know is to be a warrior. That's Goliath. That's the devil right there. Remember who the devil was. He wasn't just, you know, some angel. He was a mighty cherub. The devil is one of the mightiest. We're not talking about just some big guy here. We're talking about the big guy. And that is what this little kid is going up against. Do not allow Satan to do what Goliath is doing here. Trying to make you think that you can't defeat him. With that little stone of yours. I'm telling you, we got, we're standing on the rock of salvation. Our Avon Hashatia. The, the foundation stone of Jesus Christ. And remember, Jesus was mocked and told, if you are the Son of God, if you are, well, don't listen to all of those doubters, those Sauls in your life. You can't do this. You're just a boy. Reminds me of Timothy. Do not let anyone look down on you because you are young. No, stand up. It doesn't matter. I don't care if you're 10, 12, 15, 8. I got to be honest, I don't know where my daughter Eden's at. She's probably up there somewhere. But my daughter Eden has impressed me from like this age when she was just a wee little girl. To see her faith sometimes, it would put me as an adult to shame. Her servant heart. Just, it's like, wow. Don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. This is not an age thing. This is a spirit thing. And if you are anointed by God, it doesn't matter if you're one or if you're a hundred. So, there are many souls in our life that are going to tell you, leaders even, just as Saul was. Saul was a leader. They're going to be telling you, you can't, do, you can't go up against this. This world, it's so evil... Not going to happen. Oh, you don't know my God. Verse 34 continues, But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. 
I read this and it's like, what? I, can you imagine today? The closest I can come is a grown man fighting off a mountain lion that we saw here in the last year or two. I don't know if you ever saw that. And I think it was in Colorado. And, you know, he was all scratched up and beat up. And, and it was a baby mountain lion, yeah. Here's a boy, and a bear is coming after. I don't know if you've ever, like, been around a bear. It's like a pig. They are solid. I mean, it, it, it's completely different than going after a dog, as an example. They're solid. I don't think the point of this is that he was a little kid, but man, he was uh, pretty, pretty stocky or amazing, strong. He was a Samson. Yeah, no. I think it's, this is here because what does the devil do? He roams about like a lion seeking whom he may devour. I think this is here prophetically telling. I think it really happened, don't get me wrong. But I think it's here to point us to Yeshua. And the devil has been going after him since he was a child. We see that in Revelation. We see it prophesied in Genesis. We see it all through Scripture that he would go after the seed of the woman. And here we're seeing, it's all right, the devil can roar all he wants, but we've got somebody fighting for us. Verse 36, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defiled the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. All David cares about is going against this guy who defies God. This uncircumcised Philistine. I mean, that, when I say that word, I just want to have such a, you uncircumcised Phyllis, I can't say it strong enough. I, that's pretty much what he's saying here. He's that angry. That's all he cares about. You know, I'm, I'm thinking here, I'm just kind of reminded of our Bible study. We've been, I look around here and I see a lot of you guys who have come to our Bible study here for 20 years, maybe more, I don't know, at least, around 20 years. And I remember there was a time, especially back uh, in Kennesaw, there was a group, I, I don't think Kennesaw has ever had before or since a group like them that stood up for God so mightily in a public school. Like the whole class. And I remember so many people just, oh, they're young and ignorant. They're young, they're just, you know, they don't know any better. They're overzealous. They'll grow out of it. And I remember talking to Tara years ago about that. Why do they have to grow out of it? And I remember saying, I love teaching and, and talking to youth because they are zealous for God. And the world hasn't had time to, to destroy them, to discourage them, to take all of that away. There is absolutely no reason to lose that, folks. And I'm thankful to see 
a lot of them never did lose it. I hope I never lost it. And frankly, I never had it when I was their age. There is absolutely no reason that we have to, you know, well, no, someday you're going to learn, you're going to grow up, and, and uh, you'll see the world isn't as, you know, it's not your, your oyster like you thought it was. Well, that's not the point. The point is, is God, it's his world, and we should never lose that zeal. That's who, world's no different, but they are, because I think they've been anointed by God. And I mean that by the power of, of his spirit, because they are, God looks for those throughout the earth in, in, in whom he can use. And I'm telling you something, you might be saved, but you're sitting there watching TV all the time, you know, you come home and that's all you do and you're not putting God's word in yourself, you're not out there giving it to other people, you're not obeying God, he's not going to use you. You'll be ringing the bell, I can guarantee it. It doesn't mean you won't go to heaven, but you're going to be ringing the bell. Don't put me in, coach. It's those who practice this when they're young that grow up knowing how to use it when they're older. Anyway, it continues and says, He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy glowing with health, handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. Isn't that something that... Here's this Philistine, and he despises this little kid. Why? Because he can see the anointing of God on him. I've told some of you this before, I don't remember, but I've got a brother who's a practicing homosexual. He's a lost man. And if he's listening to this, I hope he does someday, but he hears it. I love him, but he's going to hell. I believe that. Not because he's a practicing homosexual, but because he has turned his back on the living God and the, and the Word of God. And a few years back, not very many, maybe four years ago or so, I was home, and I hadn't seen him in a lot of times because I have basically followed scriptural mandates and, and excommunicated my brother from my life. Love him, pray for him but I did what Scripture said in 1 Corinthians 5, what Samuel did or what he was supposed to do with his sons, all of that. If anyone calls himself a brother, a Christian, which is what he does, and yet is sexually immoral, greedy, and adulterer, any, all whole list of other sins, he says, with such a man do not even eat. And I wrote him a letter years and years ago and told him, I went through this, I went through Samuel, and Samuel basically said, hey, you know, boys, Stop doing these evil things, sleeping with women at the tent of the meeting, but you keep doing what you're doing. But I love you. And then we see, basically, Eli. Did I, I keep saying Samuel. God came to Samuel. Eli's sons. God comes to Samuel and says, You go tell Eli that because he considered his sons more holy than me, that he's going to be kicked out of the priesthood and, and his whole line and his sons are going to die and all these curses are going to come upon him. And you look at this and you go, man, Eli went and told his son, stop. And God says, you considered your sons more holy than me? 
It's like, well, yeah, how? Why? Because he didn't kick him out. He said, I love you. Stop it, but I love you. He does the same thing. For years, I talked to pastors who would tell me, well, you've got to keep the communication lines open. Do you know they couldn't once give me a scripture verse to show me that? And for years, I struggled with what to do because of that. And we would talk back and forth, and I'd give him stuff. He'd give me stuff that was, you know, supporting homosexuality. Well, eventually, he would just throw them in the garbage, and he'd get angry every time I'd give him a scripture verse. He says, I'm done talking about this. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Well, you know, Matthew even talks about this, where you go to a brother, and then you take others and talk to him, and then if he still doesn't listen, what are you supposed to do? Out you go. So there are plenty of scriptural examples. And finally I said, all right, this is what I'm going to do. And so I wrote him a letter and I told him all of these things that I love. If you ever are willing to consider this a sin again, you're welcome back. But until you're willing to call this sin, I cannot in good conscience because of God's word continue to eat with you anymore. Well, of course, he thought that was the most hate-filled letter that he had ever received. And then, of course, he thought my children were all gay, and so I'm acting out against that. That's just what they all do. Well, four years ago, again, then I, I hadn't seen him in a number of years since my father's funeral. At my father's funeral, I gave him a big hug, and I told him, I love you. That was it. He didn't say anything back. So... About four years ago, just before my mom died, we were out at my brother's farm, basically where I grew up, and he was out back crying. And he had been home just like 12 hours. And I go back, and I said, Tom, what's wrong? Uh, you okay? What's wrong? Oh, I, 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 just can't, I just can't be here. I said, why? Why? Well, you guys, and you know, you're all with your spouses and, and all of this. If I brought my spouse home, you'd all be aghast. And I said, well, yes, Tom, we would, but that's not the issue here. What's wrong? Well, no, I, I can't. I just, I, I'm going home. He was trying to find a flight home. And I said, Tom, listen. I said, you're not here for us. You're here for mom. This may be the last time you get a chance to see her. You better just buck up. And do it. If, if it means, you know, if you're having a hard time being around, I'll go. We'll go into town, and you can come out and spend time with her by yourself, do whatever you need to do, whatever. And he said, oh, you guys just, your church stuff, you're, you always think that you're so much holier, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, Tom, yes, we would be aghast because it is sin, but that's not what I'm talking about here. I love you, and I know that your mom loves you, and you love her, just whatever. That was it. That's the worst thing I ever said to him. That's as close as well. Otherwise, the whole time I was nothing but kind and friendly. We get home, and my brother Steve says to me, he says, you got one of the greatest compliments. I says, yeah, what's that? He says, Tom absolutely despises you. He cannot stand you. And I said, what? What happened? And he just basically was saying, I wish Brian to stay out of life and blah, blah, blah. And it's like all I did was to show him concern for why he was crying. 
and tried to avoid the topic altogether, but he knows where I stand. And because I stand against sin, my very presence causes him to have hatred in his heart. My brother Steve even said, it's not just me. And by the way, how I'm telling the story, I'm more animated. When I was talking to him, it was in compassion and concern and quiet. And my brother even said, you were nothing but kind to him. While at the flip side, my brother Steve was like, they were arguing politics and it's like, I stayed out of the whole deal. That's what's going on here. Goliath despises David not because of what he's trying to do or anything outside of the fact he belongs to God. And I'm telling you something, you will be despised by this world no matter how much you love them. No matter, and this is why the love church doesn't work, folks. Okay, Just love them and hope that they see Jesus someday does not work. And this is why. Because it isn't about you and how kind you are and what kind of food you can make them and how seeker sensitive you can be. It's about a spiritual matter of good and evil. And evil hates the light. That's what John tells us. So if you are a light, don't expect for these ungodly people to like you. They won't no matter how nice you are. Revelation 19.21, the rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider and the horse and the birds gouged their, themselves on their flesh, gorged themselves on their flesh. This is what we see prophetically. Here is the devil, Goliath, saying, I'm going to kill you and I'm going to give your flesh to the birds. The devil is constantly trying to imitate what God is going to do. The truth is, flipped around, the devil is telling people right now, we're going to win. Okay, we've got this world, we're going to win. No, you're not. Don't believe that lie. The truth is this. You are the one that is going to be gorged by, the, or the birds will be gorging them on your flesh. That's the truth. This is not a battle that we are in right now in this world against Democrats and Republicans, liberals and conservatives. This is a battle of two gods. Just like here, it was a battle of two gods. That's how it is here, a battle of two gods. Don't ever think otherwise. It continues, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with, the sword, with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. I love this. David wasn't relying on even his sling. He says, the Lord will do this. You know what Yeshua did? Yeshua did nothing but by the Father's authority and will. Same thing. David, I think here is prophesying as well because he cuts his head off. I think, what would a 15-year-old kid want to do with a Goliath's head? 
But we see that he takes it to Jerusalem. He takes the head to Jerusalem. Now, those of you who went to Israel will kind of know that I've talked about this before too, but just give you a sampling. It's a whole message in itself. But I think there's a possible prophetic picture here. Genesis 3.15 prophesied right from the beginning that the woman's seed would crush the head of Satan's seed or the serpent's seed. <coughs> so... The devil has gone after the seed of the woman from day one. He has gone after Israel. We see that in Revelation. He go, he's gone after Jesus. He goes after us. He goes after us because he's trying to destroy the seed. But we know that his head is the one that gets crushed. We have a picture of that head crushing written in the creation in the stars, I believe, as well. Now, but this is not astrology. Uh, I, I probably shouldn't have even mentioned it without being able to, but I'm not going to go into that tonight. My DVD, The Stars, God's Word in the Sky, will explain. But we see that picture. Here's another picture. Satan, God, crushes his head, takes his head off, takes it to Jerusalem, and then where does Jesus die? On the hill of Calvary, also called Golgotha. Goliath was from where? Gath, Goliath of Gath, Gol, Goliath, Guth, Gath, uh. it's called the place of the skull, <laughs> okay, so Yeshua dies on Golgotha, the place of the skull, the Jews have a tradition that this is where Satan's, or, uh, Goliath's head was brought. I don't know historically if that is true or not, if that's exactly what happened, but I think there's a good possibility because I could see that that is a great, one of the greatest pictures of all because that is exactly where Satan's head was indeed crushed. And Genesis 3.15 is lived out. I think that's why David cut his head off and took it to Jerusalem. This is prophetic as well of our Messiah bringing victory on Golgotha. So, just to give you a, a taste of that. It continues. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistines' army to the birds and the wild animals, just like Revelation said. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Oh, I can't wait for that day. The whole world will know. I'll be honest, like I said before, the only reason I really wanted Trump to win, not because I thought he was going to deliver America. I didn't think he would. I wanted Trump to win because I thought at least he was going to give some of these evil people theirs. That we would see some earthly justice. But let me tell you, there's a day coming and the whole world, Biden, Commie, all of them, they will Bottom line is they're going to get theirs. And I don't say this to, to be disrespectful. I say it to be absolutely in honor of God. This we should celebrate, folks. We are to love our enemies, but I'll tell you what, I hate evil. And I look forward to the day where we are going to see that they will know the God we serve. And not just them, but every evil person. And so, if you're an atheist listening to this, 
on a podcast or whatever. No, you better get to know our God and then surrender to him because this is your future, the, the future of these Philistines. So, but I just think, wow, the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. I can't wait for that day. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. So again, David is prophesying here. This whole thing is prophetic. Don't just read it as a historical bedtime story. 1 Samuel 17, 48 as the Philistines moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him, reaching into his bag, taking out a stone. He slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone without a sword in his hand. He struck down the Philistine and killed him. Two things. He runs into battle. He's not meekly approaching Oh, gee, I can't believe I just got this sling. He's, there isn't a, a, a bit of doubt in his mind. He's running towards him. I love that. See, guys, we're not going to have to go to war with tanks and ARs and whatever. We go with the armor of God and the shield of faith. That's how we're going to win this. Verse 51, David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword, drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Again, kind of remembering what I was telling you, Genesis 3.15, what we already talked about, so I won't go through that again. But it's that golden rule, kind of like Haman as well. The, Haman intended to kill Mordecai on the gallows. And yet, those gallows is the very thing that he got hung on. David, or Goliath, intended to kill him with his sword, but instead it was that very sword that kills him. So, just God is very poetic that way. And there are many examples in Scripture. We see verse 52. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistine to the entrance of Gath, to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn along the Shararim road to Gath and Ekron. When the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. Again, prophetically speaking, when the Lord comes back, they are going to, they come up against Jerusalem, right? You got Jerusalem and the army's coming up against Jerusalem, just like we see pictured here. Who goes and leads us out? Yeshua, Jesus, on a white horse. And who follows? All the hosts, all the saints go behind him. That's the picture that we're seeing here, going after them. Luke 10, 18, he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. David had to take out their champion first, and then the others followed in battle. Yeshua is going to take out the champion first. This is what Yeshua did on the cross. I don't want you to just put this in perspective of future. You need to look behind you. Going back to Jamie, he's not on the cross. The tomb is empty. He came, and he had the devil, the prince of this world, now, not will be, now stands condemned. 
He has been knocked down. Now follow him into battle. You're not waiting. You are enlisted and conscripted now. So keep that in mind. But again, you can see why David is mentioned like Samuel in the uh, hall of faith here. Um, another verse that just kind of comes to mind that, you know, what Jesus said is you must first bind the strong man. And that's what happened. David bound the strong man and then the army could go. Um, 1 Samuel 17, verse 54 continues, David took the Philistine's head, brought it to Jerusalem. He put the Philistine's weapon in his own tent. Saul watched David going out to meet the Philistine. He said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this young man? Abner replied, as surely as you live, Lord, your majesty, I don't know. Now this is odd for a few reasons, but I'm not going to get into that tonight. But bottom line is, this is also very prophetic of Jesus as well. Um, let me just continue here and I'll explain. The king said, find out whose son this young man is. As soon as David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him, and befo him before Saul, with David still holding the Philistine's head. Whose son are you, young man? Saul asked him. This is the very question the Pharisees ask of Yeshua. Right? Who are you? Who, who are you? And then remember, they come out to him, uh, you know, are you, are you John the Baptist? Are you Elijah? Okay. No, I am not. Some sent men to Jesus at the Jordan saying, who are you? What do you say about yourself? Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? And yet, this is pretty much what the unbelievers will even say to this day. Who's, who is this Jesus guy? I'm reminded of a verse in Acts. It says, so when they saw the courage of Peter and John, and they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, but that these men walked with Jesus. That that's what they should see in us. That boldness, because Christ has delivered, that we should have courage and boldness. That people, just they're going to look at you and wonder when they see the courage of you guys and realize that we are ordinary Joes, but that we walk with Jesus, they're going to want to say, who is this Jesus that gives them that authority to speak like that? Anyway, last slide. Because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, 1 Kings 15.5 says, and had not turned aside from anything that he had commanded him all the days of his life, except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. I love this, and I hope that this is the kind of bio that God will be writing down of me. Brian did what was right in the sight of the Lord, except in you know, the case of blah, 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 blah. Mine's going to be a little longer. But actually it's not. Yeah. Life of Brian. Life of Brian, yeah. Yeah. It's not going to be longer. Matter of fact, mine isn't even going to be that, sh that. I won't even have one thing listed. You know why? 
because I'm post-cross. That's amazing to me. When you look at this and you think, man, I wish I could have a bio like that, and we can say, wow, we've got one. That's incredible. You read in Revelation chapter 20, it says books are open. First, it's the book of, of the ungodly, right? And then you also have the book of life. If your name is written in the book of life, I'm telling you something, God does not have a record of your wrongs that are written down here. And says, uh-oh, uh, Katie, you didn't keep the Sabbath January 23rd, 2021. Didn't keep that Sabbath. Well, there's one little check off of your... He does not keep a record of wrongs. Your sins have been cast as far as the east is from the west. It doesn't change the fact that Katie should be keeping her Sabbath, but guess what? He's not keeping a record. All of the good that you do is being recorded. And so when Katie keeps the Sabbath, that's being recorded. When Katie obeys God and, and, and you know, loves an old lady by helping her across the street, that's being accounted. When Katie loses her temper because Logan's being uh, an unloving uh, husband, rare. That those rare times, <laughs> that is not being recorded. For the ungodly, it's kind of the opposite. It doesn't matter how much good they do. It's not being accounted to their credit. All that matters is what they have done. And by the way, anything that is done not in faith is considered sin, according to Romans 14. Revelation 20 is often misunderstood that way, too, because they see the book of life is open, and then these, these got these other books and go, oh, so that we're kind of lumped in together, but you have to realize there's two judgments. Those are the godly and those are the ungodly, the sheep and the goats. And the sheep, the book of life, that's it. If their name is found in the book of life, that's it. And then there are these good things that you are rewarded for, but you're not punished. The ungodly, no book of life, you go to hell, and then you are judged by all of the evils that you do. I just say scripturally, your sins are cast away as far as the east is from the west. They will be remembered no more, Scripture says. And that brings great joy. Are there rewards in heaven? Yes, I can give you all kinds of Scripture that show that there are rewards in heaven and that there are, there's punishment in hell. Some will be beat with many blows, some with few blows. Okay? We are rewarded. But taking everything in context, there can be no condemnation. And so only our good works are recorded that are done in Christ. And there is reward, there are rewards in heaven. However, when we talk about the mansion, this is all the lumber you sent, that shows that there's some sort of disappointment yeah. and regret. There can't be any of that in heaven. The way I've always looked at it, just as a picture to try to make sense in my head, is this. Some of us are going to be one-ounce cups in heaven. Some of us will be 32-ounce cups. Some of us will be 64-ounce and so on. Every one of you is going to be filled to the brim with joy and happiness. If you are a one-ounce cup and you are as full as you can get, you're not going to look at the 16-ounce cup and say, how come you got more than I did? You can't handle anymore. We can't fathom it, so we just trust and believe it. And in the meantime, I'm not worried about my list that I'm working on. I'm worried about, God, I love you. I want to worship you and serve you, and how do I do that? By obeying you, period. So that's what I'm concerned about, is loving and worshiping God, not my list. So, all right, let's close in prayer. Lord God, you are good, and 
we just long to see the day that you come. That you will take these uncircumcised Philistines and you will put them to the chase. That we will be able to see victory in this present life as well as in the life to come. In the meantime, Father, let us be soldiers for Christ. That we would stand firmly and boldly wearing your armor. And that we would not shrink back as those who do and are destroyed. We stand in faith and we stand in your grace and in your mercy. But Lord, we want to obey you. We want to follow you. We want to be ready for war. We want to be ready for the battle. And we can only do so by drawing closer to you. So draw us near through your word and your spirit. And may your word just set deep into our hearts that we would follow and obey it just because it's what you desire. And Lord, um, just remove the culture that we have grown up in. Remove all of these theologies and distractions so that we can just read your word for what it is, that we can see that truth and that truth be what sets us free. In the name of Yeshua, our Savior, our King, our commander. Amen.